0: welcome to the feather desert a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the united states welcome back to the feather desert everyone we are happy to have you with us today and today our podcast is a continuation of our desert pollinator series this one is fluttering butterflies and that's what we're going to talk about today Um, it's interesting though of all the pollinators that we're going to cover in our series on our desert pollinators butterflies are probably the most well-loved but in an interesting twist they're the least productive pollinators although they're still very important to our desert environment and the first thing that you need to know about butterflies is the life cycle and cheryl is going to tell us all about that
1: yes Butterflies go through a complete metamorphosis through their life. This means that they go through four stages and at each stage they look completely different from all the other stages. And we might be familiar with some of the stages we see, but not all of the stages that we see. Um, So stage one is the egg stage and the adult butterflies lay eggs on a host plant to begin the complete metamorphosis. A host plant is the type of plant that the caterpillar will use as its food. Now, I don't know about you, but I have yet, well, I can't say that until this year, I have yet to see a butterfly egg, but I have a story about that. So uh, stage two is caterpillar, and this is the larva stage of the butterfly life cycle, and the caterpillar will eat the host plant as it grows. The butterfly caterpillars go through five to seven instar stages, and that's kind of like growth stages. Um, Five is the most typical. and the, again, like I said, the instar stages are like their growth spurts. And at each instar stage, the caterpillar sheds its skin to grow. And it will grow a 1,000 to 3,000 times its size from the hatching to the crystallis.
0: That's really big. That
1: is. <laughs> that is. No wonder you can't see the, the first instar stage because it's just so tiny. The uh, stage three is crystallis. And this is the pupa stage, where the caterpillar transforms inside the chrysalis into a butterfly. Many times, the word, many times the words chrysalis and cocoon are used interchangeably, but there is a difference. The chrysalis develops in the last instar stage, and when the caterpillar sheds its outer skin, the chrysalis is underneath. And a cocoon is formed around the last caterpillar instar stage by using silk. That the caterpillar wraps itself wraps around itself. Now, butterflies, generally speaking, come out of a chrysalis, and moths use a cocoon. And stage four, this is the stage that we're most familiar with, and that's the adult butterfly. When the adult butterfly um, pulls itself out of the um, chrysalis, um, it flits and flies from butter from flower to flower, drinking nectar, pollinating, laying eggs on the host plant. I have some cool facts (laughs) about adult butterflies, just to pique your interest. So butterflies have antennae, but what do we generally think antennae antennae are used for? Generally like maybe touching or hearing because we think of our TV sets Mm. with the antennae. No, they're long and thin and round and butterflies use their antennae for smelling.
0: Mm, that's a really long nose
1: it is (laughs) Uh, and how they um be interesting to know how they compute that information in their brain from their antennae i think of all these weird things when i find these cool facts (laughs) um so we know how they smell so how um do they hear because butterflies don't have ears they hear through vibrations and they use their wings So when a butterfly is sitting at rest on a flower with its wings um, upright, it's actually not completely at rest because it's listening. It's trying to figure out what its environment is like because it's feeling for vibrations. And its wings itself are fascinating because the adult butterfly, when I was growing up, it was always don't touch the butterfly's wings because you, you transfer oils from your fingers to the wings, and it inhibits their um, flight, and then you get this dust, and I always thought it was like fairy dust.
0: Yeah, like a powder, and that's what I thought, yeah.
1: But it's not. It's a thin, smooth coat of scales of all those different colors that are on its wings, and and so now we know how they they smell, we know how they hear. How do you think they taste?
0: Do they have a big old
1: tongue? No. No tongue. Butterflies taste with their feet. Feet. Yummy. So when that adult female butterfly lands on the host plant, which I'm not sure if they use completely taste to pick out the plant where they lay their eggs or whether they use sight two, but she lays, she lands on that leaf and she, I, I just envisioned her, you know, like sliding <laughs> her feet back and forth or picking them up and down. So, and she's like, hmm. This tastes like a good plant. I think I'm going to lay some of my eggs here. But I just, I'm just like floored by these cool things that flitter around in our backyards.
0: They are very uh, cool. They're... And they do use vision and uh Uh, the touch the taste to decide because when they're flying they look for the shape of the leaves that are common to their host plant and then they land land on on it it and and then they do all the touching with their feet and decide if that's a plant they want to use
1: thank you because that was a question i was going to (laughs) ask after the podcast because you know with me one question leads to another one um so and two more things they're busier they're more um active during the day Actually, the warmest part of the day because they actually need the sun to um, keep fluid circulating and their wings moving and They use sight not only to find the host plant like Kirsten just said, but they use sight to find their mates Which is why they're in such um, vibrant uh, beautiful colors most of the time and now Kirsten now that you're just totally totally enthralled With these butterflies, Kirsten's going to let you know about five southwestern desert butterflies that you could probably find in your backyard.
0: Yes, and actually I have seen all of the ones I'm going to talk about in my yard with the exception of one that I don't have the right types of plants to attract, but everything else, and then my final one, Cheryl has some fun she wants to tell us about about that last butterfly we're going to talk about. Alright, so like she said, we're gonna do five and these are very interesting butterflies that are found um, Some of them are found in other places, but some of them are found right here in the desert southwest and nowhere else So once again, we are super lucky to have these guys So the first one is the queen this one might be one that all of you have seen and sometimes people mistake it for a monarch, but the queen is slightly different The adult butterfly, when you find it, is going to be a reddish orange with black outlining and white spots on its wings. So we'll post some sites that you can look at, the actual pictures um, in our show notes. And once you see that, you will see how completely different it is from a monarch and then you'll be able to, yeah, I got that. So if you want to attract them to your yard, some of the nectar plants that they really like is Lantana That does actually great here in the desert. Uh, The brittle bush, which is native to our area. The desert marigold will also attract them. And the prairie zinnia. Now, a note on the prairie zinnia, that's an annual. So if you're a lazy gardener like me, then it's not necessarily a plan for you. But uh, it is a great one to attract them. And if you want to plant it every year, go for the prairie zinnia. But it reseeds. Oh, it reseeds. Okay, so there's a little laziness there. Yeah. Good. So the host plant for the queen is a desert milkweed. And remember, when you plant that host plant, that desert milkweed, you're planting it so it will lay its eggs on there and the caterpillar will eat it. But they only lay one or two eggs on one plant so you don't ever have to worry about it eating it to the ground because it's going to be one or two caterpillars at a time. Now, the caterpillar, if you are lucky enough to get them on your desert milkweed, is striped black, white and yellow. So pretty obvious. It is not trying to hide itself because it takes those poisons that are in the milkweed and it keeps it in its body and it makes it taste really disgusting. So one or two of them a year are going to have to take that for the team where they get eaten by a new baby bird and then that bird is going to be like and spit it out and they're never going to eat one ever again. <laughs> so sorry, one of you, at least one or two of you is going to eat eaten a year by new birds uh, but then the rest will never get eaten because they're like, that's disgusting, I don't want to eat that again. So another thing to keep in mind, since we do have monarchs here, the best way to tell a queen caterpillar from a monarch caterpillar is that it has three fleshy filaments down its body. So they look like little antenna, but they're kind of floppy. There's gonna be a set at the head, there's gonna be a set in the middle, and there's gonna be a set at the end. And the monarch caterpillar only has two sets. It does okay. not have the fleshy set in the middle. So that will tell you that it's a queen versus a monarch. And that's the way you can tell because they use the same host plant.
1: I know. I'm so excited for next year because I have desert milkweed growing yes. in my
0: backyard. Um, also, the males, when they are adults as butterflies, you can tell the difference between a male and female queen. Ooh, okay. So when you look at the... Their wings, um, you can see it when they're closed, but it's harder to do unless you know what you're looking for. When their wings are open on a flower, look for these black scent patches. So it's going to look like there's a vein of black going down in like a splat. Like you left a marker too long before you kept riding with it. And those are scent patches that the males have to attract the females. So these guys don't just use vision to find their mates. They'll actually use scent and so the males can flap their wings and the females are like, oh, that smells yummy. And they'll, they can kind of go into the area where they're smelling that and then the males will take care of everything. With their antenna. Go. With their antenna, yes. <laughs> and when you're looking for eggs, which is one of the reasons that many people have not seen eggs, on, especially with queens and monarchs on milkweed, generally they put them on the bottom side of the leaf. So when you are looking at your milkweed plant, you want to look underneath it and with the desert milkweed, it's a little bit different because they have those super tiny, thin, thin little leaves. Um, a lot of times they'll lose those leaves as well when, they, when it gets really hot. They just fall right off. So it could be on the bottom of a leaf or it could be on the stem when it comes to a desert milkweed. And they're very small, so you're not always going to see them, but uh, they're kind of a, a whitish, milky white color.
1: Okay, I have a question. Yes. All right, so... Will um, queens and monarchs lay their eggs on the same uh, desert milkweed? That's a very
0: good question, and no, they will not. Darn. So they do, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they'll lay it on the same type of desert milkweed, but... They're not if, the same plant. Right, not the same plant, So because they want the best for their babies. They want everybody to be able to survive. So the queens and the monarchs, when they lay their eggs, there is a scent that comes out with that, oh. and they can smell the, the scent of the... The egg. And so, unless they're in a captive situation where they're in a house and they can't get to any other host plants, they will lay one to two eggs on a plant and then move on. And if it's already occupied by somebody else, whether it's a monarch or a queen, they'll be like, nope, I'm not leaving my babies here. Too much competition. And they'll fly on to another one. So, yeah, it's really amazing. The Isn't way... that fascinating? Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh, they get cooler by the They do really get cooler yes, by the, by the yes. moment. <laughs> yes.
0: All right, so that's the queen. So keep an eye out for those guys. Now the second one is gonna be the painted lady. And this one is actually one of the most amazing butterflies that people always overlook. These guys are found on every continent on the planet with the exception of Antarctica. There are very few insects on Antarctica except for the ones we brought in that live in the little houses now like mosquitoes with people (laughs) but there's no painted ladies there but these um are ones that we do have here and they on our area are actually a very minor migrator so they will actually move up um, in the summer just a little bit up into our northern states and then for the winter they come back down to us so here in Arizona you're going to see the painted lady starting in September And then you're going to probably see them on the nectar plants that they really like, which is the brittle bush. That's what I had in my front yard last year, and they were everywhere. Uh, Something like chocolate flower and the Goodings verbena, which is also uh, an annual as well. But if you have any of that stuff near or around your yard, you will most likely see painted lady adults um, in the September time.
1: I'll have to plant one
0: yes so when you're looking for these guys you're going to be looking for an adult that is black and orange with large white spots and you're going to hear black and orange a lot in a lot of our caterpillars here in this area but these guys kind of have angular wings and that will separate them from the queens which are a little more rounded of the wing and these guys if you can get close enough to see them their body is pretty hairy Uh, for a butterfly. And then when they sit, sometimes they will sit with their wings closed up, which helps them camouflage. If you look on that top wing, which is the one that you see uh, the most when they have their wings closed, there's four eye spots. And that means that it's a big round spot that has something in the middle that looks similar to an eye. And on the Painted Lady, it's usually like a black and a dark blue kind of color. And there's four of them. And that will indicate to you that it is a Painted Lady that we are looking at. So the other thing that you can do to bring them to your yard is plant their host plants, which are hollyhocks, thistle. I wouldn't necessarily recommend planting yeah. thistle. Isn't that prickly? Because it's very prickly and not everybody wants to have that near their house. Me, myself, I like plant and thistle, I don't care. But a lot of people don't like that, which is okay, um, because we also have globe mallow. And globe mallow is a great one here in the desert, and we've talked about it before in one of our plant spotlights, and the Painted Lady will also use that as well. And speaking of host plants, they actually feed on over 60 genera of plants, which is extremely unusual for butterflies they usually stick to one or two host plants. And the Painted Lady, that's why it can live all over the planet is because it can eat lots and lots of different types of plants. And Probably
1: part of its success story.
0: That is definitely part of its success story for sure. So when you're looking for the caterpillars, because they're found so many different places, it is a bit harder to decide which one is a Painted Lady because they can be variable in color. But they're often brown with yellow dashes on the body itself almost the whole thing and they'll have pale hairs and then branching spines so that's unusual to have hairs and spines together and so the spines will come up and they'll kind of look like dead tree branches and they'll kind of branch off a little bit and then those pale hairs just kind of fluff around them like they had a really bad hair day and (laughs) that's a good way to look for what type of caterpillar it is and of course if you see it on your globe mallow or hollyhocks if you happen to have those planted or if there's thistle near you then you're most likely looking at a painted lady now they also have a chrysalis which is very difficult to find when you do see the chrysalises and uh, their chrysalis the painted lady will kind of be a brownish tan with these gold accents on it it looks really beautiful if you ever do find them which it won't be on the host plant so you're not going to be looking on their host plant for that you'd be looking at trees or fence posts or something that is nearby Uh, but it does it looks like a little piece of jewelry it's pretty amazing so just to let you guys know one more thing about these guys is that they are found all over the world, as I said, and they actually have a longer migration path in Europe than monarchs do, because they will go from the very, very bottom of the continent, all the way up to the tippy tippy top. And that's farther than the monarch actually migrates from Mexico.
1: They are cool. They are They're cool butterflies. Very
0: interesting. So that is our painted lady. All right, so number three is going to be our two-tailed swallowtail. And what's really cool about the two-tailed swallowtail is that is the official Arizona butterfly. Yay! And so, yeah, if you see these guys, it'll be awesome. And the adult is actually three and a half to four and a half inches, which is a very large butterfly. Uh, They have yellow and black stripes on their wings. They kind of look like a tiger, which is interesting and then they have black edging with little blue accents along the bottom near the tail. And it's called a two-tailed swallowtail because it has two tail type projections that come off the bottom and there's two of them. So that differentiates it from other types of swallowtails that we have in the area that look very similar to that. You wanna look for those two projections that come off the bottom. That's what the adult looks like. So the nectar plants, for the two-tailed swallowtail are going to be thistles as well which like we just said we don't necessarily want to plant those in yard but they can actually be seen on um many tall flowers and trees so that's a there's such a large swallowtail they don't want to be down close to the ground they want to be on something tall and that's their nectar plant so it doesn't have to necessarily be thistle you can see them on all sorts of different types of tall flowers and and high trees so their host plant is also trees Um, Ash, cherry, and hop tree is what the caterpillar is going to eat. And these caterpillars are harder to see because since they do lay their eggs on trees, they generally will lay them very high up in in the canopy of the tree. So it's a little more difficult, unless you have a brand new tree that's young. Sometimes you'll see them on that, but most of the time they go up real high. So the caterpillar in its last few instar stages is going to be smooth green, with black and white neck stripe, right where it looks like their neck would be. It's not really their neck, but it looks like (laughs) on their body that it's where their neck would be. And then they have false eye spots that are on what looks like the top of their big bulbous head. But actually their head is tucked down under and is this little tiny little head. But these big um, eye spots are on the side and their eye spots will have a ring around it and then inside will kind of be blue. So there are blue eyed caterpillars. And when they're young, in their first two instar stages, they'll actually look like bird poop. And that helps them to survive because birds generally don't want to eat bird poop. No. (laughs) And so then when they get older, they turn into that pretty green color, which blends in perfectly camouflage-wise with the leaf. Then the eye spot is in case a bird sees it, they're like, oh my God, it's looking at me. And most of the time when you are a predator hunting your prey, you don't want to eat something that's watching you. Yeah, (laughs) So that will help them to survive.
1: Throws them off. Yes, it does, (laughs) hopefully. And
0: these are actually some of the largest caterpillars that we have here in North America because they can get over two inches. Wow. That's a pretty big caterpillar. caterpillar. Yes. And so when you're looking for these guys, if you have any ash, cherry, or hop trees in your house or wherever you're hiking for the day, keep an eye out for this big, giant, two-tailed swallowtail, and that's where you will find these guys. All right, so number four is our variable checker spot, which is going to be much smaller than our two-tailed swallowtail. The nectar flowers that they like to go to are different types of our native shorter wildflowers. So we're talking about our chocolate flower and our brittle bush and uh, the the fleabane that you can see around as well. The little teeny tiny white daisy looking flowers. Uh, They're attracted to that kind of thing. Uh, their host plant is going to be beard tongue, which I just love the name of that beard tongue. <laughs> it just makes me want to brush my teeth.
1: Yes. Uh, it doesn't sound like a pretty flower, but it is. No,
0: it actually is a very lovely flower, yeah. Uh, they're attracted to different types of paint brushes and then bush penstemon, which I like all of those because they're mm-hmm. all uh, perennials. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lazy gardener here. But those are all great ones to have in your yard if you can to attract our variable checker spot. Now, when you do see them, they are going to be that black, white, and orange again, but they're gonna be a checker spot pattern. So it's going to kind of look like a checkerboard. And, but they're gonna be a small butterfly under two inches. And the really interesting part about these guys, why I included them is because in the Southwest, they actually eat on their host plant until about the third instar stage. And then that's when it starts getting really hot here and all of us go inside and we don't want to come outside. And they essentially do the same thing because the caterpillar will go down to the ground and they will get down in the cracks and crevices where it stays cooler and they'll estivate there, which is hibernating uh, like in the cool, this is Yep, hibernating in the summer and then when it becomes cool again they come back out and go back up on the plant they eat the rest that they need for the next uh, one to two instar stages and then they go into their chrysalis and then they overwinter there so they actually estivate during the summertime which is very very interesting Uh, not everybody does that and so it makes this variable change spot very um, interesting and unusual So the caterpillar, when you're looking for them on your host plant, they're gonna be black and white, uh, sorry, they're going to be black with white splotching and then black branching spines. So you're gonna look for those little spines again that look like little dead branches. And what will indicate that you're really looking at a variable checker spot is at the bottom of those branching spines, there's gonna be orange spots. So at the base there. So you're going to be looking at essentially a caterpillar that looks like the same color as its butterfly which is really cool.
1: That's unusual too.
0: It is, and it does seem to happen with a lot of the caterpillars that don't mind um, being looked at because you're either, uh, you don't taste good, like the monarchs and the queens, or uh, these spines. If you get that in your mouth, it usually, it's pokey, and uh, the birds don't like that. Yeah. And they'll usually spit it out and be ugh. And so this guy doesn't really mind being seen with those orange spots because you know you're probably not gonna eat me you'll end up spitting me back out and most likely i'll survive and if not well and i took one for the team yeah (laughs) so that is our variable checker spot And I have heard that if you do live close enough to Boyce Thompson Arboretum out here in our valley, or you want to take a trip out there, if you do go out before it starts getting really hot, you can actually find them up on the high trail that they have there on the side of the mountains. Uh, You can check for them there before it starts getting super hot in the summer, and you might be able to find some of these guys out there. The
1: caterpillars or the butterflies?
0: The caterpillars. um, The butterflies as well, um, because they're also looking for the beard tongue and the bush pen stuff which i do believe that's where they had their beard tongue actually planted is up on that high trail so of course you're gonna see the butterflies up there you might catch some butterflies laying eggs and then if you go at just the right time you'll see some caterpillars as well Oh, that's cool
1: okay i didn't know that yes
0: all right so on to our fifth one um this one is one of the very smallest butterflies that we have especially in arizona and this is called the orange skipperling And we picked this one because Cheryl has a fun story to tell us. And also, it is a butterfly that is often overlooked. So their nectar flower is going to be small-headed wildflowers, such as the spreading fleabane. And their host is going to be Bermuda grass, which doesn't always do all so great out here. But there's side oats grama, and then there are other types of grasses that they lay their eggs in. And a lot of these grasses are the native grasses to our area. And so you don't have to put in Bermuda grass in your yard just because you're like, oh, I want some of these butterflies. <laughs> They'll come... do. They're pretty cool. <laughs> you can have maybe a little side side <laughs> side spot of them to Plant attract them. In a them. Pot. Yeah, just a little <laughs> pot of them. Um, but there's other types of grasses as well. And I can't list them all because we just don't know all of them. No. And but we do know the side oats grama is one that is um, will also attract them here as well. So the caterpillar is interesting because this is a very very small butterfly it is less than an inch so the caterpillar is 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 really going to be difficult to see but it's a very pale green with green red and tan striping and the stripe goes all the way down from the head to the tail and then their their head will be a pale tan or yellow head and it will have this like v shape on it and so it's unusual for such a small grass type caterpillar to be kind of brightly colored like that but that is what they look like Um, so the adult is actually under an inch like i said and is a bright orange and this is a type of skipper so it's called a skipperling because it's very small and the way you can tell a skipper from other types of butterflies is when they are stationary they fold its wings back and it looks like a jet airplane Mm -hmm. so like uh, or paper airplanes that you made Mm -hmm. when you were kids that's what it looks like when it is stationary on a leaf and this one is gonna be that bright, bright orange color. And for you though, for those of you that are hikers, it's often that thing that like flips right in front of your face and you're like, oh, what was that? And it's just going across the trail because it's going from one flower to the next. Because a lot of those really small wildflowers that they like, like the the fleabane, are right along our trail edges. And so they just flip right in front of you and you're just like, you don't even think about it. What you're seeing are orange skipperlings. So next time you guys are hiking out there and you see something orange, just take a minute, take a stop and see if you can see them. Because if you can be patient enough for them to land on one of those fleabanes, you can get a really nice look at them. And they really are quite interesting uh, caterpillars. I mean, sorry, quite interesting butterflies. So that's the orange skipperling. Now that's number five on our list. And keep in mind all of the different host plants um, and nectar plants, the nectar plants that I've been talking about, this is what the butterflies are pollinating. And you probably heard me say pretty much everything except for Bermuda grass is native to this area. And so that's why they're so important because they're picking our native wildflowers to pollinate. And we definitely need those. All right, so the next question is how can we help um, our, well, how can we help our butterflies? And then, how are our butterflies helping our birds? Since we are a bird podcast, how exactly do our butterflies help our birds?
1: So, the most important stage of our desert uh, birds, well, the most important stage to our desert birds, excuse me, is the caterpillar stage. And this is the stage that helps our birds raise their young and feed themselves. So, um, if I tell you right now, I'm going to, Doug Tallamy, who is an Excellent. Um, he wrote the book on um, Nature's Best Hope. He talks about insects. I'm telling you, caterpillars are going to save the world. Yes, they are. <laughs> so birds um, are an important predator of butterflies, particularly in the caterpillar stage. Warblers and other songbirds seek out caterpillars to sustain the high energy levels needed to complete their spring and fall migrations. And songbirds would not survive without invertebrates. Um, like butterfly and moth caterpillars to feed their young, uh, young birds may need anywhere from six thousand to nine thousand caterpillars to reach fledgling status. Now, fledgling status is when they leave the nest, and that is six thousand to nine thousand caterpillars per bird. So, if you're a chickadee and you got five babies, I think you actually times nine nine times five, that's 40,000 caterpillars you gotta find. Yeah, that's a lot. To get all your babies up and out of the um, the nest. That's a lot of work. Yeah, that's a lot of caterpillars to find. And not only that, you gotta feed yourself. Yeah. So, um, butterflies and their caterpillars play an integral role in providing substance to the variety of life on the planet. And when you see predation in your yard, like we're talking about, you're planting your own native plants. Um, it means that the population of caterpillars in your yard is robust enough to handle it. It is part of providing a healthy ecosystem, which I am so excited to share my story because Kirsten hasn't heard this one yet, <laughs> but... Um, Last year I planted a yellow bells and um, I'm not even going to attempt the um, scientific name for it, but it's a plant that you see in a lot of native landscaping. It's got huge tubular yellow flowers and bright green leaves and um, in the hope that someday I would get caterpillars and I would get the dog face butterfly because that's its host plant. Well, less than a year later I, I, I found evidence of caterpillars and probably crystallists on my plant or on the posts around the stake that's holding up the plants nice and um yesterday i was in my front yard and i had two dog face butterflies <gasps> on my lantana plant Woo-hoo! and i was like jumping up and down jumping <laughs> up and down because i was so excited because i love it when nature works yes all i had to do was plant a plant and water it and I don't. It doesn't even need much water now because it's it's native. It's made it a year, and um, nature is doing its thing. Plant it,
0: so, and they will come.
1: Yes, so <laughs> cool. And my story about the um, little orange skipper skipperling is uh, skipperling is that one day uh, Saturday morning I was out weeding my um, excuse me my grasses. And right in front, of him, as I was leaning over into the grass, right in front of me landed an orange skipperlink. And I'm like, well, hi, what are you doing? <laughs> and it looked at me and it laid an egg. And how often do you get to see that? I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, are you doing what I think you're doing? And she was, and she said, don't bother me. I'm just laying some eggs. I watched her for 20 minutes to a half hour. It was worth the 11 mosquito bites (laughs) that I got just to watch her flit around through my grass. And we did not mow our grass in the backyard for five weeks because I did the research to find out how long it took. And I don't know how many butterflies, because I see them in my yard all the time. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea how many butterflies actually um, went from stage one to stage four in my backyard because there's predation in my backyard. I got birds that like to get bugs out of the grass of course but at least i understand the process and it was okay so if i didn't get any of those butterflies at least i got um
0: yes you got at least to see I fed it. the
1: birds and i got to see it yeah so, and also while we're talking about um how um butterflies um help our birds they also help us and part of the value of the butterfly is the aesthetic um, feeling that we get from seeing them and how, how, um, we interpret it. And, um, the butterflies, their beauty and their brilliance have been in the imaginations of um, people through many ancient cultures and up into literature from the Bible to Shakespeare, to poetry, to musical lyrics. Today, butterflies are in art, jewelry, crafts. So even as Kirsten pointed out that the butterfly is less of a, a pollinator in its importance, it still is important because it brings beauty to our lives. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that.
0: No, not at all. And I know. Yeah. I'm sure most of the people listening to this podcast right now saw, ooh, butterflies. I want to know what that is. Yeah. And we can't imagine our lives without butterflies. And that's one of the things that I'm going to talk about next is yes. how we can help those butterflies. Take it away, Kirsten. And uh, the best thing to do is plant native plants. Now you're going to go into many stores, and you're like, I want to plant something for butterflies, and they're going to say, Well, here you can have this butterfly bush. Plant that. That is not a native. It comes from Asia. So anything that is those, gosh, I can't even remember what they call them now. Um, there's one that is called butterfly bush, which is a native milkweed to the east coast which don't plant that here it needs too much water but there's you can go in and you see them and uh they're these ones that everybody says oh you'll get a million butterflies off of them you will but you're also going to attract for those of you who have enough moisture in your area you're going to be attracting mosquitoes and because those mosquitoes that we now have here are from asia as well and that partic- that plant that you just planted which is called that butterfly bush they are attracted to that for mating Because the males drink the nectar from that. So the females come in and say, hey, boys. And then they're like, oh, look at those people over there. I'm going to get me some food. And so you're just attracting mosquitoes to your yard as well as those pretty butterflies. So especially here in the southwest, plant native plants. And then you're going to see that little orange skipperling. You're going to get the painted lady. You're going to get the queen. The dog-faced
1: butterfly, which is a very pretty yellow. Yes, the
0: dog face butterfly, um, all sorts of different pretty, pretty butterflies. And when you're considering doing a butterfly garden, think about doing nectar plants as well as the host plants. That is going to bring you the most abundance when it comes to butterflies. It's also going to help that butterfly's life cycle because that uh, two-tailed, Swallowtail that comes by and says, oh gosh, this looks good. I'm going to drink from that. And you just happen to have a cherry tree over here or an ash tree, something that works in our area. And she's like, oh, just lay some eggs here too. This is perfect. And then you're going to help them through that cycle and they never lay a ton of eggs on something unless it's the very last stage of their life and she's just like I gotta get all these eggs out but that's gonna (laughs) end up like being maybe 20 and most of them are gonna get eaten they're not gonna eat your plant into the ground and kill your plant off they're not going to do that it's gonna be one or two here or there so I get to do the plant spotlight today very excited about that and I I have chosen oh you have two
1: no, well. I'm I excited. Oh, excited you're-
0: for me to do yes. it Yes. All right. <laughs> uh, so for the Plant Spotlight today, I have chosen the Desert Hackberry. And I love this one because it can be a shrub that can get eight feet and ten feet wide, or you can prune it and keep it smaller. But um, once you've established it, it's very low water, it can take full sun with no problem. You do need to make sure you have good drainage. It does not like to have moist roots. Um um, but keep in mind, you can prune that down. So you do wanna have a space where you can, it can grow a little bit. You don't wanna keep it too small. Um, and it does have thorns, but they're generally under an inch. So they're not too much of a big issue. You certainly don't want it to be in a, a walkway where you're brushing against it every single day, but it's a great one to have this desert hackberry And the reason I picked that one for our Desert Pollinators podcast is that it's the host plant for many butterflies in this area, including our American snout, which is a very small little butterfly that you generally don't even see it until it opens its wings and it flashes this really bright orange and white at you. The Hackberry emperor, which is super common in this area, and the Empress Layla, just to name a few. That's only three that use that as the host plant. Then this desert hackberry also works for our birds as well, just to mention one little bird, the Verdin, that we have talked about as well. Loves this one because it has these little orange berries on it um, uh, during the summertime, towards the end of the summertime, and that will bring the verdant as well. And who doesn't want a little verdun? No, I know, I, I know. No?
1: They like cherry tomatoes too, by the
0: way. <laughs> so our plant <laughs> spotlight today is the desert hackberry, and there are actually a lot of companies around here nurseries that are now carrying stuff like the desert hackberry for you because more and more of them are doing native stuff and i'll try to put a uh, website up on the podcast show notes to let you guys give you a a starting point to search from some uh, local nurseries that carry natives
1: i would be appreciative because i want one of these yes it's on my list
0: yes all right well that is it for our desert pollinators podcast today I do hope you guys learned something about butterflies and uh, caterpillars since those are actually my favorite stage is the caterpillar stage. And uh, get out there in your garden, get some
1: native plants and get some butterfly viewing. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, guys.